Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Decentralized Podcast, where we bring you all the latest news, information, education on everything Bitcoin, blockchain, and cryptocurrency. I'm here with Kosh as usual, and on today's episode, we've got Greg Medcraft. Yes, now Greg was the former chairman, head of ASIC, which is Australia's version of the SEC. Um, Greg is now the director of financial and enterprise affairs at the OECD, which is basically the policy arm of the G20. Yeah, these guys, they, they take care of conduct, uh, corporate governance, financial education, consumer protection, financial markets, investments, insurance. Basically, they, they help write policy for all the major countries in the world, the G20, for all of the things that sort of cover that area. Absolutely. So that policy gets trickled down and put into things like conventions and multilateral treaties that then go Laws, into law. Yep. Um, and look, today's episode, it got a little bit heated. Yeah, it's kind of like the clash of the philosophies. On, on one side, you know, we've got the libertarians, the free market supporters, the Bitcoiners and all that sort of stuff versus kind of like the men behind the curtain, the ones, you know... Uh, Exerting control from yeah, behind the scenes. People who make policies, etc. So there's a lot of really good information. Um, and like Kosh said, it got a little bit heated at times. And we all know where we sort of stand on the, the philosophies around what we're doing in this space. Absolutely. I'm sure Greg does too. Yeah. After this. So guys, with this episode, we'd really like you guys to share it because this is an important episode. I think it's really important for people to know where the points of contention are in the space because that sort of defines why Bitcoin and why all of these things actually got created in the first place. So share it around on your YouTube, on your Twitters, on your LinkedIn's, on wherever else you want to share it and let's get this episode out to more people. Absolutely. I think it's a must listen to episode. And, and a must watch. Yeah, absolutely. I think you guys will enjoy it. So leave some comments. Decentralized. Hey guys, we're here at APAC Blockchain in Melbourne. This is day two. We finally got a hold of Greg Metcraft, who's currently working at OECD and was the previously the chair at ASIC the chairman at ASIC here in Australia. So I'll let him do an introduction because he'll do it much better than I will. And then we'll go into questions. So, Greg. Okay, uh, look, I'm the Director of Enterprise Affairs and Finance at the OECD in Paris. Fantastic. And uh, as you know, the OECD uh, advises governments around the world on a whole range of issues. In my area, it can go from advising on competition law to uh, bribery and corruption to um, uh, pensions, insurance, or Jesus, investment. that's wide. <laughs> yes. So, uh, and then prior to that, I was the chairman of ASIC for nearly seven years and chairman of the International Organization of Securities Commissions for about four years, which actually uh, deals with 120 countries around the world. And before that, um, I was uh, at Société Générale for 30 years, and in the last decade, I was the global head of securitizations. So working on Wall Street. So I've well, got quite a varied career. Yeah. <laughs> quite a varied. <laughs> well, so Greg, well, I guess in that case... I'm still having fun. I, I can see that you are. <laughs> well, here you are at a blockchain conference, of course. I love innovation. So Greg, I guess the first question that I really want to ask, is, and I'm not going to go in any order here. I do have a bunch of questions that I want right. to ask you, but what, I guess, what what two parts to this number one how did you move from ASIC to OECD because that's obviously an organization uh, sorry, a global organization mm. what prompted that and then from there I'd like to sort of know you know what OECD's real interest is in sort of blockchain and crypto so mm. we'll, we'll start with the first part so um, how I moved well 
you know, I was chairman of a inter global international organization uh, and I was a member of the Financial Stability Board of the G20. Yep. So I guess I had the experience of chairing a very large global organization and it was a, probably a natural thing to then go when I left ASIC to actually go to a global organization. Okay. It was probably pretty likely. Uh, and the OECD also has a link with France because I worked at Société Générale for 30 years, so I um, had a, both a French link and a finance and then a global organization. Uh, and what can the o why is the OECD interested in this? Well, the, the mantra of the OECD is actually helping governments design better policies for better lives. Okay. That's what we're about. We're about having outcomes that result in helping people have better lives. And one of the big things we're focused on these days is inclusive economic growth. So it's no good having economic growth if it's not inclusive, right? So one of the attractions of blockchain or distributed ledger, you know, whether it be in finance or in business, to the extent that either, you know, if it, if it reduces transaction costs or it brings greater transparency in supply chain so we have better provenance, we see where our products have come from, uh, if it's actually in the issues of uh, energy, um, uh, protecting energy grids, that's, that's all for better lives, right? So that's why we're interested in it. But also, uh, you know, governments are demanding or asking what do they do about it? Because they can see, you know, they're being asked about, well, you know, what do we do about blockchain in our country on payment systems or supply chains? So there's sort of a bit of a push and a pull thing here. But at the end of the day, the reason is we think it's something that's consistent with our mission, which is ethos, better yeah. policies for better lives. That's what we do. Okay. I've got an interesting question for you here. So differentiating between blockchain and an application of blockchain, which is cryptocurrencies and a form of virtual currency that you can do value exchange with. So obviously the OECD is pro-blockchain in terms of efficiencies and transparencies and all of that that you just mentioned. Well, we're, we're, not, we're sort of not necessarily pro the technology. We, 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 we like the technology because of the outcomes it produces. That it produces. We, we, we're sort of technology neutral, really. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Now, What's the OECD's stance on, for example, the disruption that these currencies are bringing? So, you know, we've lived in a world for the last X amount of hundreds of years with more state-run currencies and mm. state-run means of exchange. Now, you've got people being able to transact between each other anywhere in the world at any time instantly um, using this internet funny money. Mm. So. Do you guys see that as a fad or do you see that as a real thing that's happening? Like, what's the OECD's viewpoint? So, look, you know, we are very much in favor of global free trade, global free flow of investment. Okay. That we, you know, one of the areas that I'm responsible for is investment, managing the multilateral convention on free investment flows around the world. So that's in our DNA. Yep. Okay. Now, to the extent that um, you know, blockchain helps supply chains and extends supply chains to smaller, medium-sized enterprises, which it does, that's fabulous, right? And a lot of that is enabled by uh, blockchain. Equally, um, it's enabled, you know, with uh, digital currencies, they enable remittance transfers at very low cost to people between emerging markets at much a fraction of the cost that it's done today. That's all very good. 
the only one problem that that you know we have uh, with say um, anonymous digital currencies is they could be anonymous between us, but there has to be some traceability for uh, law enforcement, tax authorities, etc. So if you're using a digital currency for an illegal means, then we need to be able to track that. So it can remain anonymous between you and I as individuals, but still there's got to be somebody actually, there's got to be the ability to actually look over it from certain pe certain parties. And that's the only aspect of it that is an issue for governments, frankly, is the lack of traceability. So we're, what we're seeing though is, I think the future belongs more in permission ledgers where they can, you know, where you've got a combination of public and private, so we can be anonymous between us, but above us, somebody can, you know, if there's something is it's illegal, it could be traced. And that's the big. That's the big. Any if it's basically completely anonymous, and tax authorities and law enforcement agencies can't trace it, then that's a problem. Okay. So in other words, you don't like because also at the same like time, OECD is very much focused on tax. Yeah. Right. We have a tax. We've been the convention of uh, the base erosion of profits taxes, that's an OECD convention of 140 countries. So we're also focused on tax because we make, want to make sure that everyone pays fairly their share of tax. Right? That's all the same. Okay. Back to the same stuff. Talk, talking about that, if the uh, um, OECD um, is sort of lays the framework for the global cooperation for, for tax, which, which we have, yeah. yeah. Mm. So I guess it's um, um, by virtue you guys will be doing the same thing for the compliance for um, this space, the regulatory environment for this space. Well, I think what I said this morning, it certainly I think is an opportunity for us to work with industry to perhaps set some a framework of policy or guidance yeah. that could help governments dealing with blockchain or ICOs. Yes. And talking about these sort of anonymous and, and private ways people can transact now that's outside of the, the traditional system there's going to be a big challenge there for regulators with these new forms of currency and technology and how do you guys think that will be tackled will will it just be a case of outlawing them or how do you how no, do you I don't think you outlaw them it'd be basically you know, if you want to buy them, uh, you'll have to register as an individual your account with a central authority or something like that. And then you can still transact uh, anonymously between you and another party. And provided that other party is registered with a government agency, if anything goes wrong, uh, um, they can trace the money, right? But not between, you can still remain anonymous. But above you, uh, if, if there's a need to, if basically there's some suspicious reason why you've transferred the money, that needs to be traceable. So you can still have, uh, so it can still work. And, and the way, as you talked to Austrack earlier, it's going to be a requirement anyway now to actually do the AML KYC on individuals. So it's what's emerging is effectively, there is actually a requirement to check the party who's if you actually have everyone who's coming into the system has to be known, okay, even though between us we can, but there is a, a central party like an Austrac who actually you're registered with, then that's fine. And I guess that works in terms of the fiat 
government currency on ramps. Well, I think, yeah, fiat currency, when you think about it, it's pretty simple. Like, as one central banker said to me, if I'm willing to give you uh, a piece of currency, why wouldn't I equally be willing to just give it to in a digital form? What's the difference? Yeah. So you're saying and if it's Alex... it's actually cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> it's cheaper. And actually, you know what? It's more secure because if you lose cash, you can't replace it, right? Sure. But basically, unless your, your digital wallet gets hacked, you can't... Or you lose your private... Yeah. Other than that, um, but even if you lose your private key... Can, you can go and probably have verification that it's you and you can get a new private key. So it's sort of pretty attractive, right? You can't lose, but it's pretty hard. Actually. And if somebody else uses it, guess what? They can trace them. So yeah. it's, probably a, it's probably quite a discouragement to use it anyway because I can trace you, right? So not much use, really. Um, so that's why um, I think fiat digital currencies will challenge uh, um, existing crypto. At the moment, they're the only game in town, right? But once fair digital currencies are introduced, people go, well, I want the convenience to transfer cash instantaneously. Yeah. I'll just do it with a fiat currency where it's stable and it's safe and I can do it. But also I think, I think what will also push down the relevance of um, Bitcoin will be the emergence of asset-backed cryptocurrencies where sure. they're actually not just simply backed by an algorithm with 21 million coins or whatever. Um, they're actually backed by commodity. um, by commodities or by cash. Yeah. It could be that, I mean, why wouldn't you, which I know it's happening, um, where UBS have got their token coin where basically they lodge you know, yen or dollars with a central bank and they issue an equivalent amount of cryptocurrency and it's convertible at the central bank. Yeah. But as is always in money, as long as they've got confidence in it, it will just start to transact as money. Right? Yeah. So I think what you see emerging at the moment, I think is going to be a lot of challenges to um, uh, existing yeah. uh, cryptocurrencies. And I think it's going to happen much quicker than, than, you, than maybe we see at the moment. So I think. Are you hinting I, at something that? I, I think. Well, I just think that uh, things like Bitcoin will be a, be under pressure from obviously the issue of just simply lack of traceability, but also from emerging other alternative cryptocurrencies that are obviously much safer, issued by the state, or if they're not issued by the state, issued backed by real assets. Now that yeah. could be. You know, the Venezuelans have supposedly issued. I'm not Petro sure whether really what they've done there, but petrodollars. Yeah. But theoretically, that's a, that could work, provided the um, the oil reserve is say lodged at a custodian in a country where people where you can get access that. and trust. The the, the, the the issue of asset backed, I think, is not just because I'm you know a securitization expert, but the asset backed area, I think, is really fascinating for private. Um, crypto assets there I think that has potential again provided that it's transparent to central authorities that and, need to know and just on that point so you would like to see a world where say if Alex and I are in transacting in, in digital currencies there's oversight it should be transparent to a body such as the OECD oh who, not necessarily no, OECD you're a to, policy. to basically to law enforcement okay right? to whether it's to tax authorities uh, police um, yeah, securities, law, to basically 
to government authorities, Austrac, yeah. that need to, you know, if, if it's if it's being used for uh, by bad actors, yeah. by terrorists or whatever, then we, 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 we need to know, right? So we need to see. It, need, it it's not like you know local governments don't need access to that, right? So it's this issue of who who should get access to that that data. And it's the same thing as the data discussion we've been having, say, in Australia about data privacy and who can get access. Definitely. As you know, they recently last year changed the law and restricted who can get access to data. So that data, if it's you know cryptocurrencies, that, that should be available to people who really should be entitled to see it, not to just everyone, right? But how do you stop that? Because you're sort of up against a development community that is philosophically opposed to those sort of ideas of having this government oversight or this big brother kind of looking over everybody. Um, and, and they're building, building things to, I guess, circumvent the old way of that level of yeah, except that governments have the ability to shut them down uh, so the issue is either you change or you'll get shut down and okay. I think it's far better to change than to shut down well I think anyone running a business will do that yeah I always say you know at ASIC when I left they gave me some cufflinks and it says we can do this the easy way or the hard way and I used to say to this to people uh, you know whether you know we you, you know do you want to plead guilty or we have all this evidence and we can go to court and you'll get a much heavier sentence. That's the easy way or the hard way, okay? Here I think you have, again, the easy way or the hard way. The easy way is, is as an industry to change yourself or to the hard way, which is a, a government may go, oh, just, oh, we'll just ban you. But how do you or deal well, with... Or impose um, regulation that is so heavy that you'll get suffocated. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's, and it, people sometimes get into this... So, sort of comfort zone and they go oh we just keep going at some point I think I said this morning you know some point you could be too small to really care yeah but then you become too big to ignore and the problem is when you become too big to ignore people call often for extreme solutions because they don't understand the, the area and I think in some respects we're at this point at the moment I think with uh, crypto assets right where Governments are going, oh no, we've just got to do something about this. And that may not be done on an informed basis. Right? So that's, I think that's the issue. But um, again, you sort of up against these decentralized systems that no one jurisdiction can have control over and say, well, we'll shut you down. How do you go about shutting down a decentralized system like that? Well, you know, the thing is, is that the people who actually use those decentralized systems are actually pretty largely based in G20 countries, which is where all the money is. And if G20 countries come to an agreement that something should be done, doesn't matter where the other, where the, where the, um, where the location of these are, if they say to their citizens, that's it, they can actually make sure that that's it. I, I, they I haven't decided that yet. If so, if people start keep transacting, it's, very, it's actually a very small world. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, when, I, when you're sitting from where you are, I'm sure it is. No, no it, yeah. it really is. It's so interconnected. Uh, you know what people don't appreciate: the reach of government. If government wants to take time, the reach of government is extraordinary. Oh, I don't. So, doubt it. as I say, if if they want to stop things, they can. Right. Yeah. They can. They can. Yeah. I mean, it, it, 
if they want to devote the resources to things, they can. Yeah. I mean, they, and and governments of the world cooperate on terrorism and stuff. And if they want to stop something, they I can will. assure you, they can. <laughs> if no. they if they want to. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, and, and basically, no one can escape, really. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm telling you, that's just very ominous words there. I'm going to take it in a slightly different direction. Um, no, no, but uh, just it's a warning, uh, actually. There's actually nowhere to hide. <laughs> it's great. Um, different type of question. Um, you can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> I mean, I think one of the challenges is, uh, I was going to have a comment on this, is that, you know, the G20, like, you know, wouldn't that be like shutting down the internet, trying to shut down something like this? No. No? No, because not everyone in the world is dealing in cryptocurrencies. But, but the, guess, um, guess the ability what? for cryptocurrency to move... Actually, uh, governments can identify every computer with cryptocurrencies operate on, can't they? Um, I wouldn't know. Well, the, you tra- it transfers through IP addresses. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. All right, I'm going to take... I'll, it's actually I've got not a, that difficult, really. <laughs> I've got a better question. But so but I can only trace you to your computer... But that's a pretty good start. Yep. I mean, if you look at it, look at the way the law enforcement has attacked. Uh, are you going? Huh? Oh, no. Oh, I see you, huh? All right. Okay. Um, look at the, how the, the policing agencies uh, trace, have tracked down child pornography, okay, on, on the internet. Okay. There's a really good example where law enforcement working around the world, you know, were able to track down and prosecute child pornography. And rightly right? so, they should have. But, but, um, but that, there's an example of how law enforcement can work. Mm. People who think they're in their home watching child pornography and think they're safe. Yeah. Well, actually, no, they're not. Yeah. yeah. Right? So just think about that. Yeah. I agree. I, I just, I mm. guess it's a philosophical question around, you know, child pornography is inherently a bad thing. Yeah, but if, but if Trading people, currencies. No, but it's fine. If, 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 why should you have a worry if you're not, if you're trading currencies and you're not breaking any laws, why should you worry that the tax authorities and uh, law enforcement can, if need, if need, if there, if there's a good reason, if there's a good reason why, if, if they've got to go to a court, because if it's structured such that they've got to go to a court and say, look, we need an order to get access to your data for tracing what's gone on, it's, you can't just, they just can't go and do it. Mm. Um, they've actually got to go to a court and say, we've got good reason to believe this person is involved in um, money laundering. So these things are not saying it's open slather. There is, you know, rule of law that protects your privacy. Privacy yep. laws still still exist. Yeah. Right. Well, so there is checks and balances and all of this stuff. So it's not free reign and Big Brother looking into whatever you do. Right. Yeah. No. It's actually everyone's, you know, privacy rights have got to be respected. And I shouldn't be entitled to say tap your telephone um, unless I've got good reason to believe you're uh, committing a crime. 
right? So I think we've got to put this in perspective yeah, when we're correct. talking about it, yeah, right? Correct. It's not, correct. It's not uh, a free-for-all that Big Brother uh, can look at everything. Big Brother has got to have good reason to be entitled to lift the, the bonnet and have a look, yeah. right? Yeah. That's I, very different. Yeah. You know? I th I, although I think the, the counter-argument, which I see, I agree with what you said, I think the counter-argument is that sometimes Big Brother has, like, you know, what we saw with Snowden and everything like that, has probably overreached. Oh, yeah, but that's where the, where perhaps is arguable there's an abuse of Big Brother. Yeah. Um, I'm more of a system where uh, Big Brother shouldn't have the right to have access to your private data unless Big Brother has got good reason to believe yep. Yep. that's demonstrable in front of a court uh, that they want to lift the lid and look at that data. Yep. Because they, there's a, there's good, good reason to believe you may have broken the law. Yep. That's the way it should. It's got to be. It's always got to be a check and balance. Yep. You know? yep, yep, yep. And I think no one can really argue against that. Right. Yep. That protects all of us. Right. It does. Um, yeah. So that's the when I say oh, traceable, it's got to be traceable within a defined uh, risk and framework managed and environment. Context, yep. Yeah. Using the rule of law. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then it can all work really well. Agreed. So, quick question around. Quick question around the Howie test. Um, uh. So th this is taking us in a different vein around you know securities, utility tokens, and things like that. Does Australia have its own version of the Howie test to help differentiate between security and utility tokens? Well, and I think like that? you know ASIC issued uh, guidance uh, last September yep. on this, and uh, you know they basically said that you know they advised uh, ICO issuers that they should look carefully at whether their offering is in the nature of a debt, equity or fund. Yeah. And they should come and talk to ASIC if they have any doubt. And that's one of the reasons that, for example, uh, I established our innovation hub to actually allow um, people who perhaps had new business models to come and talk to us. Yeah. Don't even have to bring lawyers. Come and talk to us and say, look, is this... Do we think this is a regulated product, right? So, you know, they've issued guidance and they're offering uh, advice, or, or not advice, but, you know, if somebody's got us something, they're uncertain. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, generally, so it's, I think the position is reasonably consistent with the SEC's position, okay. which is, you know, I think I just said this morning, if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, probably is a duck. duck yeah. And if, in fact, the reason you're buying it if it's an asset token, is on the probability that you're going to make money from the product or service being sold, that's probably a fund or a debt or an equity type yep. security. Now that's distinct from a payment token, where basically you be you be you buy it's a payment token, and you could be buying it just simply for speculation. That is not yep. a securities offering. So that is a security. Or isn't? No, I don't believe that is a okay. security. I don't believe a payment token is a securities offering if it's really just for payment just for payment okay and however payment it should be subject so it should be subject to kyc and aml okay right? so j just to drill deeper into um a payment token are you saying a payment token kind of like ether on the ethereum network or bitcoin as a currency I, i'm talking about both okay but it depends whether whether really the it the ultimate objective of what you're buying is simply that it's it's going to be nothing other than for payment. Yeah. But if it's delivering some other, if it's delivering some sort of entitlement to something else. Correct. Then you're moving into debt, equity, 
and Correct. Fund. Yeah, and exactly. that's where the blurring becomes. Yeah. Uh, and I think the Swiss Finma approach on this, I thought, was quite. I thought it was good con- too. Commendable. Yeah. Break. And I know the gentleman who runs that, and I thought was, he's an ex-investment banker. Okay. Um, I thought it was a good approach. Yeah. And in fact, it's certainly an approach that. Uh, um, uh, we've been looking at quite closely. Mm. We're going to produce a paper on ICOs pretty soon. Pretty soon, mm. okay. Um, okay, so that's that's interesting. So w- where can people go to ASIC to find out about that? You said the Innovation Hub? Yeah, ASIC has an Innovation Hub. Yeah. Where's that located? Is it a it's physical place? It's a, it's a virtual hub, but there are okay. people that, that they can see as well. Okay, mm. fantastic. Um, so that's just on the ASIC website, mm. and they can find out. Okay, that's good information. Did you have a question? just wanted to take it back to what we were talking about um, the issuance of government backed cryptocurrencies you kind of yeah, talked about centrally before. banked digital issued digital currencies um, it's inevitable mm. sure and you think that they will take away a lot of the market share away from this sort of well i think it'll provi- i think it'll put pressure on it because sometimes people use i mean the attraction of i have a bitcoin wallet I mean, the attraction of people using Bitcoin uh, is just more, it's convenient, right? If you want to transfer sure. money overseas, it's instant. I'm not paying a whole lot of fees, right? This, so, this but if suddenly I've got a, um, a centrally banked uh, wallet, I'll probably use that a bit more, right? I, I guess it's convenience, but it's also... It's also very safe. But it's also a hedge against what people see as poor governance in, the, in central banking. Um, Poor governance and central banking. Poor, yeah, poor governance. Uh, just in terms of transparency, I mean, we we saw the the Federal Reserve um, bailout bailouts after the global financial crisis, and and people were skeptical of quantitative easing and, and inflation. So they wanted something maybe. A bit more. You, you think Bitcoin is more stable? No. I'm not saying that, but I think I'd rather buy a dollar than Bitcoin. But I think a part of the appeal of cryptocurrencies is um, that they operate in a in a transparent governance system, whereas the traditional central banking currencies don't really offer that transparency. What's your comment on that? Well, I mean, you know, the one thing that central bank issued currencies have is that they're actually guaranteed by the state. And Bitcoin is guaranteed by nothing. It's pretty simple. I'd rather take guaranteed by the state any day, especially if it's the United States of America. Uh, and yeah, sure, you can, yeah, sure, the, they're federal. But actually, to be honest, those policies probably save the, uh, the world economic system. Uh, I think that's probably a good outcome. <laughs> um, so uh, quantitative easing, you know, this year we had the strongest economic growth in the last 10 years, 3.5%, 3.9%. Economic, the, the, this, this, the sun is shining. I mean, 3.9% economic growth around the world. And next year is the same. So um, that quantitative easing uh, is delivered. It's pretty good. Really. I guess the result was... Um... 3.9% growth globally is very strong economic growth. Um, now, it's cyclical, but... And how they get out of quantitative easing is another question, but for the time being, um, it's pretty hard to argue against what they did, actually. Mm. You know, rates will have to rise, right? So they'll normalise. Normalisation is now the challenge. And yeah, it so, is. So far, um, you know, we're starting to get 
you know, quad days easing, as you know, is being unwound and economic growth is coming about. So it will be now up to them to how you gradually put the foot back down on the tiller and keep your economic growth up while normalising interest rates, right? So What um, happens if they mess that up? Do they just go back to quantitative easing? Well, no, I guess they just, you know, they've got to just take, they have to watch what they do, right? So, do, do you think, so this is going to digress in a different topic, do you think there is risk, because obviously a lot of that quantitative easing created uh, more capital in the system, which mm, has obviously equity, ended yeah. up in you know real estate and equity markets and yeah. everything. Oh, there's we've seen. bubbles, it's yeah, exactly. created bubbles around the world, uh, and the issue will be, um, you know, how those bubbles um, because you could have an asset bubble that can actually, where markets can just move sideways for years and, and basically... And consolidate, yeah. And consolidate. Now, the hope is that those bubbles won't blow, um, but they'll be managed. And that's certainly what's happening, say, in real estate markets in Australia, where APRA is using macro prudential policy to limit lending to try and calm down the property market, yep, right? Yep. So, look, you know, all they can do is try and... Slow it yeah, down. Yeah, I mean, right? I think the hard part there is you're dealing with humans. Yeah. Who, uh, but you know what? What's interesting about residential markets is, um, in fact, people actually don't. I mean, Australia, many countries are very different to America yeah. because America has non recourse mortgages. Yep. So, yeah, so if, you you're under, out. if you're underwater, you walk out. Yep. Whereas Australia, really, unless you lose your job, you don't let go of your home, yep. right? So, very different market to even if your house is is below what you owe it doesn't really matter um, because if you sell it there'll still be recourse on you so the behavior is quite different yep. um, in equity markets yeah but um, I, I'm ju- I, I think they'll tend to just adjust over time frankly I mean unless you have some sort of major crisis black swan who knows you know next crisis probably would be a cyber attack that or you know the the big crisis is a pandemic the one that everyone is most worried about is a pandemic of what sort of some sort of health pandemic is always a a real if you want a real black swan event a pandemic is the one that is the one that worries is is that higher on the worry list than like a trump type of pandemic well yes okay a health (laughs) pandemic like an ebola virus breakout you know like the black death in the what is it 16th century 16th, or something yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean something like that that that's serious yeah <laughs> i mean that, that obviously no but that's uh, everything sort of else goes we, out the window yeah. well that's right i mean that but that impacts financial markets that impacts politics and that's the sort of if you want extreme scenarios that's yeah. the sort of stuff that worries uh global um market regulators and world banks and i that is the you know that's the stuff that yeah, and, and it, that's it, the stuff it, Hollywood it, movies are made well, of as it's well. Actually, yeah. yeah, but it's it's we haven't had one for a while, right? Yeah. Um, that's just the stuff we can't ignore, right? Yeah. That, you know, keeping an eye on that sort of pandemic risk is really important. Yeah. Right? yeah. Coming back to the tokens and stuff, so I want to dig a little bit deeper into solicitation and marketing of ICOs and tokens in Australia. So, mm. one of the things that we've seen in America is obviously the Munchies case, where you know that they were technically utility token. They probably didn't the the function and structure of the token didn't really fall under the securities framework, mm. but the way they marketed it and solicited it kind of in, insinuated that if you buy this, you're going to make money. Yes, and then therefore it's a security. Correct. So. Mm. How do? How Pretty does simple. This if you sell it as something, we expect to make money from money? it. Okay. It's a security. So how does this? So how should people developing tokens and ICOs, for example, in Australia, solicit what they're doing? 
Well, I think that guidance that ASIC issued last year yep. is probably helpful. Okay. Is, uh, you know, if, if anything, I would err on on the edge of saying it probably is a securities offering. Okay. Again, if it looks like it, it smells like it, it probably is it. If basically, if you're selling to someone with a view they should, actually they'll make money, then it's probably a securities offering. Okay. Simple as that. But if you're selling it, let's say for example, like Binance, where it's a, so Binance is an exchange in, um, in the Asia Pacific region, or sorry, in the Asia region, where you, 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 you originally bought the Binance token to give you access to cheaper exchange fees on their exchange. So that would be considered more of a utility token, right? Because it's something that you, you, you've you purchased it for the purpose of but potentially saving money down the track. on that, you know, was it issued at a 30, 50% discount? Okay. So, okay, so if you start incorporating discounts, well, then you sort of... If it's got a discount and you're gonna go, well, you know, we expect it'll come at par. But then what, that's, what about that's actually... Oh yeah, because basically it means you're issuing it at 70 cents and saying on on float it's going to be a dollar, then that's an increase in value, right? It's pretty True, simple. But, but isn't that also incentivizing early adopters? So for example, with like Kickstarter or Indiegogo, yeah, when yeah, you're yeah. it's yes, but you're buying it, you're motivating, you're buying it because you expect it's going to rise in value. You're not buying it because you want to buy that service. Right. Well, what if people are actually buying it to buy that service? So let's say, for example, the service already exists. Well, again, it depends how you're marketing it. Yeah, okay. If you're marketing it with a heavy uh, promotion on saying, we're selling at a 30% discount, in fact, the party buying has got no interest in buying the service, yeah. then it probably is security. Okay, interesting. Right. Um, Without, you know, if you think about it, it's just sort of common sense, right? Yeah. What's your main motivation? So. If I'm buying it, if I'm buying it, and I've got nothing to do with the service, I'm just basically buying a discount because I want to flip it. Okay, it's probably security. Okay, interesting. So let's say, for example, the only way you were able to buy it was by downloading the service or getting access to the service. Does that sort of help? It probably is then the argument more in favour of it being just a service, right? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, I think once you start offering it, is it at a, a decent discount? It's pretty starts to be questionable, right? If you're offering a discount and saying, you know, we think actually, you know, our objective is that this will actually sell a par, that implies you're going to make money, right? Okay. Um, yeah, okay, that's fair. So the best guidance to people then that are trying to develop sort of actual... Just, it's actually pretty simple. Just use your common sense. Yep. Really? Yeah, no, because I was going to yeah. say the best way to frame it then is if you are building a utility fact, token... Even if you're going to have the best lawyers in the land... The regulators that go, well, the lawyer should have known. Well, no, it's just common sense. It, it, it's very simple. As I said, if, if basically it looks like it's you're being sold such that you'll increase in value, then it's probably a security. <laughs> in fact, you know, more than likely, securities regulators would then err on the side of saying that it is a security. So, yep, yep. But then the other issue is, you know, how they're, uh, how they're offered as securities, I think, is the area that I would be thinking about is, you know, well then, you know, what does the white paper need to cover? And actually, to be honest, it needs to obviously describe the business model, which it does, and what are the risks of the business model, and um, what are the restrictions on issuing more coins, and, you know, whatever, yep. it, whatever it is you're issuing, right? Yep. It's yep. about two principles. It's about having a fair, orderly and transparent market in the product and it's actually making sure that the investors can have trust and confidence in what you're doing, right? Yeah. Um, 
What are the regulations around exchanges in Australia? So as far as I know, none of them need an AFSL yet, the crypto exchanges. Is that something that's going to start to need to happen moving forward? Is ASIC sort of putting together a framework? Well, I can't really comment because okay. I'm no longer the chairman yeah, of ASIC, okay. but ASIC does issue market licences. So, okay. uh, Even I for exchanges? Yes. Oh, really? That's for, a market for, license. Sorry, for crypto exchanges? No, they issue a market license, okay. range of market licenses. Okay. I can't tell you where they issue. I don't think, I, I don't know whether they issue any for any crypto. I don't think they, they do at the moment. Okay. Now, tying that question into, so let's say you're a company doing, coming back to these ICOs, and let's say you're issuing a token, and it is a security. You, you're issuing it with the intent that, look, it's going to rise in value, so you're doing a discount. Does that entity need to be licensed um, with ASIC or registered with ASIC? What, what do they need to do? Uh, I, I can't actually comment. I shouldn't okay. comment about ASIC because yeah, okay, I'm no. no longer the chairman of ASIC. Yeah. You should ask ASIC that directly. Cool. So, All right. uh, but you know, at the end of the day, um, if it's a securities offering, then it's subject to the corporation's law, and therefore, you know, it might be a managed investment scheme, debt, or an equity, and therefore, it's subject to the applicable laws of being an equity, debt, or whatever. And if it is there and as security, and it's traded, it could then require a market license to be traded as a security. So, if it is a security, and therefore, if it's security, it's a financial product, right? Mm -hmm. And if it's traded, it may need a financial a market's license to trade it. In order to trade it, okay, cool. So they're all linked up. I do have one more. Is um, Bitcoin and the current cryptocurrencies that are on the market, mm. are they viewed as commodities or currencies by the OECD and current people? We don't. I, we don't have a view at the moment on uh, crypto uh, on on the payment token. If there are payment. I think you could say they're basically a payment token, right? Mm -hmm. And as I said at the moment, we don't have a view. Um, we're forming a view. Okay. But I think the view is that they're, you know, they're probably a, let's say they're a payment mechanism, right? Okay. So do you think that'll they're fall not a under coin. currency? They're not a, well, they're not a currency, okay. right, as defined. Okay. Right. So do you think then in that case they'll fall under commodity more so? Um, like gold and silver maybe? It's um, it's hard to uh, I don't want to actually comment because it th this is a, d a big debate. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Right. But didn't uh, Australia already? I mean, I, I just think they're not. They're certainly not. They're not a security. Yeah. Right. That's clear. Um, as whatever they are, if they're a payment token, the most important thing is that I think in inevitably they probably are a commodity. Probably. Okay. But. Most importantly, is they do come under K the biggest issue with payment tokens is to make sure they have some level of, of KYC AML. That's the biggest issue with with um, payment tokens, right? Okay. So that uh, the traceability, I think, is the big because you think about it in a way, um, payment token is in a way a bit like um, a form of barter, right? Yep. In that I'm giving you a payment token in exchange for something which you hopefully, if there's liquidity in it, you can actually go and use it somewhere else, right? So it, it's sort of a, it's sort of in the nature of barter type uh, um, thing. Now that's why tax authorities have treated it um, often, I think they, I mean all they care about is that if it increases in value, they'll tax it. They get some tax <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Current, what do you call current? I mean, I think most of the time they would rather treat it as a commodity, so if it increases in value, 
It gets taxed, right? Okay. And the and the general taxable sort of um, viewpoint. I think it actually of, generally is a commodity rather than yeah. money. That, well, that's the all the conclusion that I've come up to yeah. as well. Like I've it's you know, a, a form of barter. Yeah. Mm. So if that's the case, then is is there any um from from where you sit at the OECD, are you seeing uh, governments move towards um, taxing it in an income tax sort of perspective or in I more can't capital really gains? Because tax is not really my uh, okay. my area. OECD, uh, our tax people are clearly looking at the issue of you know initial coin offerings and the tax implications of those. But at this stage, I can't really say anything. Uh, okay. I frankly don't know. Um. Talking about back to uh, central bank issued cryptocurrencies, mm -hmm. where does this leave commercial banks? If I have a central bank issued cryptocurrency, mm. which I'm holding in a wallet mm. on an app yep. that's issued by the central bank, there's, there's no intermediary between me and the central bank who mm. issued that token. There's no, I'm not depositing it with a commercial bank and they're not lending it out. Well, actually, no. I mean, you still may want to deposit some of your um, uh, digital wallet with a bank. Doesn't, I mean, that, that doesn't, that still will exist, right? You, if you've got cash, you may, you may decide to essentially leave it in your you know, asset wallet with the central bank. Yeah. But that doesn't earn any money. Right. So you may decide to lend it to a bank. Okay. Or you might lend it to a money market fund. Right. But the thing is, you um, the one beauty of all this is for the consumer, they have the safety Definitely. of the central bank. They don't have to worry about a bank collapse. Uh, so, but the future for banks maybe they become custodians of your wallet, right? And uh, you, they, you know, you, they can still maybe operate a system where you can still trans. They, you may send them instructions to transfer money out of your wallet to a different account, or it might be you hold your own, the custodianship and the keys of your wallet yourself, right? Who knows? But That's it, right. It's, it's re it reshapes banking, possibly in a very good way, because it means that banks don't necessarily need to hold capital against deposits anymore, right? They, they can, they, you may be that you have banks that are not um, guaranteed by the central bank, that guaranteed by the state, right? We go, well, yeah, we're a good bank, but we're not gonna, we're not guaranteed, deposits are not guaranteed, okay? And that could, could be what they do in the future. So, so you may decide, so the, the, the process of credit creation will still happen because money will flow either to banks or to non-banks and they will then lend to companies and individuals the way they do today. So you think that credit creation process from commercial banks will still happen and they will still have a role to play in that Absolutely. process? Absolutely. So their business model isn't going anywhere just yet if a centrally banked cryptocurrency... Central yeah, bank. no, it just, it just means that the days of um, probably the free money on transaction accounts probably gets reduced quite significantly. Mm. Um, that's about it, but that's probably uh, under pressure anyway, right? People are getting smarter about managing the free, f that, what they call the free float, is sure. the transaction accounts. That 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 would be the thing that they would be a bit annoyed about because the free float will reduce probably significantly, right? Yeah. But all this is sort of quite, this will take a long time because, you know, people will just be offered the option of, a, say, a, 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 a you know, 
central bank issued currency, many people go, well, no, I'm quite happy with cash. Right, so, but it will be interested to see when it does start to happen, how quickly it happens, uh, you know, hard to comment. But the whole issue of credit creation, already though, a lot of credit creation doesn't happen in the banking system, a lot of it happens in the non-banking system, right? For example, in mortgages, right, with the mortgage securitization market, mm -hmm. independent mortgage brokers and lenders, they're outside of the banking system, that you have credit creation, they raise money um, from the capital markets, right, um, and that often then comes from funds which they lend to individuals. So you, you sort of credit creation already happens and has happened for many, for decades in terms of the non-bank markets as well. Interesting. Anything else? Greg, do you have any other ones to quickly pass on to Greg? The only other thing, I, we could talk for, uh, pick your brains for hours, but we won't do that, we'll let you go. Um, the, last thing, Chinese, yeah. <laughs> the last thing I um, wanted to ask was about, if what would you have done differently if you were overseeing ASIC and you had to, and you were faced with this ICO dilemma today or, or this cryptocurrency um, mania that we're, we're seeing? Is, is there anything that you think could have been done differently? Um, look, you know, about a year ago, the board of IOSCO, we talked about crypto uh, ICOs, and I, I think it's one of those hard ones. Like, I think it was only a few hundred million had been issued at that point, and frankly, it was that concept of too small to really care. We yeah. sort of said, oh, this is something we better keep an eye on, um, and then suddenly, bang, you know, six billion, and who was to know? Um, we, we, you know, we, I think everyone was ha having an eye on it. Uh, but nobody, I think, expected that it would grow the way it's grown. So, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, right? So, uh, look, you know, I think uh, not really. I think um, now everyone's focused on ICOs and realising that um, the issue is is that to make sure that, you know, my own view is that you've got to take a constructive approach because it's a new way of raising venture capital, which I think is really innovative and creative. Yeah. And, you know, but as I said today, you know, 50% um, of the 900 were done last year failed. So there is a lot of risk there. And what you've got to do is make sure that those that fail, fail for good reason because their business model failed. But there may be some there that are basically scams that were essentially never going to make money, right? So you've got to take the scam content out and, and actually then make it like any normal venture capital. It's high risk and you get paid a lot of money and that's fine. Definitely. Yeah. Let the market prevail, huh? Yeah. yeah. Actually, you just touched on something there. So the market prevail, let the market prevail. And I think I was having that, we were having that chat with Brad from Austrack earlier today around, you know, how much intervention or regulation is too much where you end up creating this sort of nanny state situation where everyone expects to be looked after versus, yeah. you know, the, the balance between stepping back and allowing the you know the dumbasses to lose money and to actually learn um, you know like where where do you think that balance should be do look think I think it's about I said two there's two fundamental principles of markets uh, regulation is um, investors trust and confidence and fair orderly and transparent those are the two fundamental principles now um, trust and confidence means not protection mm -hmm. but it does mean to make sure that uh, investors have enough information to make a, an informed decision about a security or mm -hmm. whatever they're buying, and that um, they uh, um, and that market, you know, there's no sort of 
behind the scenes there's no market manipulation or pump and dump going on, that the market is fair and that's transparent. So that, that's fundamentally what market regulators try and do, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're actually about free and open markets, yeah. but making sure that it, you know, it's a you know, pretty level playing field, right? Or level as in terms of those two principles. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, Greg, all right. I know you've got to run, so thank yep. you so much for spending the time with us. Um, I hope that was good. Decentralized. So that was Greg Medcraft, everyone. And um, yes, it I was. think it would have made a lot of people's blood boil. He, he sort of represents the antithesis of everything. You can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> that cryptocurrencies stand for. Um, so, yeah, look, great to have him on the show, though. Yeah. What's your thoughts about government-backed cryptocurrencies? Oh, look, it just misses the whole point. Yeah. You know, I mean, and this is what he's saying, oh, Bitcoin's going to have... Um, you know, a run for its money when government-issued fiat comes along. Well, you know, the, the reason people get into to Bitcoin is because it's a hedge against the financial against, system. Yeah, against, against the potential stupidity or corruption of the centralized exactly. system. Or let's even take the stupidity and corruption out of it. It's potentially sometimes incompetence or inability to sure. centrally control a free market, yeah. which has traditionally and historically been proven to be impossible. Every single time a free market has been attempted to be centrally managed, that's right. It's popped, and he, he Greg comes definitely from the camp of let's centrally plan things, yeah. and that will deliver better outcomes. Better outcomes for who? I'm not exactly sure. But look, uh, government issued cryptos. I mean, I think we've all seen the internet memes about, um, you know, a government backed cryptocurrency. What's the inf- what's the cap going to be? It's no no cap. You know, yeah. what's the governance model? lack of transparency no one knows yeah um so it's basically you know what we refer to as a as a shit coin yeah yeah yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, th- that's how exactly. we would look at it if 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 you if it came with any different brand and it wasn't um issued by the state or you know issued or by, by a, an institution yep. Yep, yep. that was backed by the state uh, we would look at this very skeptically and go okay well ha- how does this work that's a really good point so and that comes back to then pegging the whole uh, value proposition of that specific currency on the fact that it's backed by the state. And that defeats the purpose <laughs> of a cryptocurrency. It's, it depends on how much faith you have in the state, right? Yeah. So for some people, and, and Greg did say that, uh, he said, well, it's guaranteed by the state. And, and I think he went on to say, well, you can't have any stronger backing when, than the US government guaranteeing something. I don't know what that means. Like, what's, what good is that? Um, I mean, the Zimbabwean currency was backed by the state. Uh, Venezuelan currency was backed by yeah. their state. Look, I, I will say for, for us in Australia and America and, you know, the, the affluent countries in Europe, etc., this sort of doesn't seem... The idea that a, a state-backed currency is going to disappear all of a sudden is foreign to us anyway. Sure. And especially even me, for example, having been around the the space, the, the, the real money space, hard money space, Austrian economics and all of that for years, even I don't discount the idea that uh, the US dollar will be around for a long time to come. It's just because it's so entrenched. Sure. And, you know, for us, that's the case. But there is another three or four billion people out there that live within societies where the state-backed form of value exchange 
is a load of horse shit. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And they're the ones who are going to get the benefit out of these new currencies. And just because their state pops up and launches a crypto-backed currency, oh, sorry, crypto, the, what the uh, fuck am I saying? Yeah, a, a cryptocurrency yeah. backed by their state doesn't solve anything. It's a load of it's a load of crap. A absolutely. I mean, so if the, say say the Federal Reserve issues a cryptocurrency, and by you know Greg's standard, that is going to be, you know, the the pinnacle. Um, we know nothing about the Fed. They've never once ag agreed to do an audit by even by from the Congress, the United States Congress. So. If, if they're going to be issuing a cryptocurrency, it's just going to be the same thing. We have no idea. If you talk about um, after the GFC, we still don't know the um, to the extent of the bailouts that happened. We don't know. And that just inflated the world reserve currency to, and we're still experiencing the effects of that. Yeah. Um, the other piece I want to touch on is, so that was uh, government-backed, fiat cryptocurrencies which is also which is a misnomer and then this idea that greg also mentioned that bitcoin's going to come under pressure from, from asset asset backed currencies and, and see asset backed cryptocurrencies yeah. and and uh, let me make this statement clear is and greg if you're listening to this i say this with all due respect is i even wrote an article on this asset backed cryptocurrencies are not cryptocurrencies that is it's it's kind of saying um i've got a metal piece of wood it's the dumbest thing to say possibly because <laughs> it, it, the whole point of a cryptocurrency is that it's got a crypto economic guarantee of security, sovereignty and censorship resistance. That's sure. the whole reason. That's why that's the value proposition there. Utility and all those sorts of things come secondary to that. So the ability to transact quicker and all of that. Now, yeah. that's something that can be emulated by a digital, you know, tokenized asset. Yeah. And that's something that can probably be emulated by a fiat uh, cryptocurrency, sorry, a fiat digital currency, let me be correct here, but a cryptocurrency is a crypto economically secure form of exchange. S simple as that. And it, and it allows participants who are in a network that don't trust each other, that don't give a shit who each other are, to work in their self-interest to support the greater good of the network. Sure. That's the whole point of it. So you don't need... so. It eliminates that central trusted party. That's the whole point. Oh, absolutely! And you've you just, you've just nailed back it, it right against there. Anything. No, I, I mean there is a place for asset-backed tokens. Exactly, but, but they're not cryptos. No, they're tokens. It, they're, as, they're tokenized assets. Yeah, ab exactly right. They're tokenized assets, and yes, that makes the efficient use of those, um, the moving of those ownership interest of those way more assets. Efficient, absolutely, easier, more transparent, and all that sort of stuff. So that's a use case, but that doesn't mean the asset itself yeah is going to like so if i just put my investor hat on sure and i'm thinking of a long-term investment here and i buy a gold-backed token yeah that is worth 1200 now the token isn't all of a sudden going to be worth 20 grand in 10 years time unless the underlying asset moves at that same rate yeah right now a cryptocurrency for example doesn't require an underlying asset to move up in value the cryptocurrency itself is the intrinsic piece that I guess commands value yeah. due to the consensus of the participants using it and how important they feel the attributes of that cryptocurrency are. Totally. For example, if I think censorship resistance and the ability to transact with anyone anywhere at any time mm -hmm. is important to me, yeah. I will buy Bitcoin. And to me, it'll be more valuable than it is to maybe the next person doesn't give a shit about that. Oh, d definitely. And you know, asset-backed tokens, you are 
the, this whole element of trust comes back into Correct. it. You Again, have yeah. a trusted third party that is needed. You, you, there's counterparty risk involved in that. With Bitcoin, you own your private keys. You need to trust in the security of the network, yeah. which is... Um, That's why I've been proven pretty damn strong. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I don't yeah, know yeah. where... And I, I think Greg might not realise what crypto what well, utility they have yeah, sort I th of and, i think he comes from well he comes from a securities background like you yeah. mentioned and f from and he said i think he, i'll quote him is i'm a securitization expert uh, he is now, bitcoin he is the global not a head security. of society general yeah, securitization so, so bitcoin is not a security and true cryptocurrencies are not securities so maybe it's just the case of he hasn't yet reconciled the difference in his mind that, hey, this is a network that has had value ascribed to it, whereas this is a security that represents some form of ownership stake or value sure. in an underlying asset, which is a completely different concept. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> got carried away there. Can heat it again, Kosh. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. Um, I, the, I the other piece that I want to touch on that I disagreed with... Uh, with Greg on was he said that Bitcoin's lack of traceability and I think that's just ridiculous because Bitcoin's a public ledger and oh. it is the most traceable form of money that we've ever had in society in history definitely uh, you know it just allows people to transact freely if they want to so so it actually solves the problem that he mentioned about traceability anyway exactly but i guess the problem is there's no kyc on each on each wallet address and that's where you know their issue is and they don't have the ability to have a, a copy of everyone's yeah. private keys but didn't you say that he can trace the ip and find your computer that has your wallet on it <laughs> yeah anyway, that's a you can run but you can't hide yeah <laughs> there's that thing again um you know so my my rebuttal to that though is that fiat is the really the one that's non-transparent and I get what you mean that in the KYC layer, yeah. it's, it's, that's where the transparency comes from. But from our point of view, from the users, from the participants in the system, I don't know where my fiat goes after I use it. I've got no idea. Yeah. Like I, I give it to you, you can do whatever. Well, I guess whatever banking from a financial intelligence point of view, they know where it goes. Correct. Well, so it's it's top down yeah. versus bottom up, and yeah. I think Andreas talks about this concept of surveillance versus surveillance, which is the opposite, which is yeah. looking up. Um, and you know, and this is where this is where it boils down to the the crux or the the crux of the disagreement between the two philosophical standpoints. Exactly right. They want a top-down approach, and um, I mean, I, I would advocate for what you were just talking yeah. about. And it doesn't even have to be a bottom-up. It can. I advocate a free market approach, it which is we don't need someone to try and. No, there should be transparency for for everybody rather than um, trusting these entities um we, we trust their benevolence yeah um you know which i don't i'm gonna lay one more piece there as well is that he mentioned the venezuelan token and and this for me kind of drew the line about <laughs> where i think his understanding is is that he he tried to use the venezuelan token what did i call it the petro token or oh I'm not, yeah i can't remember what the hell the name was anyway yeah. like that that is an example of a way that sovereign uh, that the way that governments are going to be able to tokenize current that that is i'm not even going to make a comment on that but <laughs> Look, that that was the I'll, biggest I'll, scam I'll, in the whole thing yeah uh, 
exactly the element of trust again so again, wow exactly. they've got a, a, a state-backed cryptocurrency they've they've sort of combined the two elements that he was talking about that um uh should dethrone bitcoin yeah, and it's look how it <laughs> turned out <laughs> It's the world's biggest joke. Yeah, and look, you know, he's talking about the fact that you should you should trust governments. You know, it's guaranteed by the state, and, and we just have to look to sort of um, modern history for an example of that. You know, prior to 1971, obviously the U.S. dollar was backed by gold, and then one day it wasn't. 71, Richard Nixon just comes along and just goes, "Oh, by the way, um, you know that backing of gold? We're we're removing that." So. Uh, yeah, sorry, and you can't do anything about it. Yeah, that's right. So do these are the kind of institutions that um, Greg is kind of saying, well, we should trust these guys. So if they can control a system like Bitcoin, which, okay, they couldn't control a system like Bitcoin, but something, if they created like something... Yeah, that like, looks like it. Yeah, it tastes like it. Yeah, but, but isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? You know, full of artificial colours and yeah. flavours. <laughs> I can't believe it's not chicken. <laughs> Yes, so I all can't the believe it's out not there. Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's a good name. I can't believe it's not Bitcoin. There's got to be an the acronym, acronym there. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap! So uh, you know, that's just the perfect example of you know yeah. what he's talking Look, about. Uh, that makes you just kind of go, "What the?" Yeah, and the the argument on Greg's side is that you know v Venezuela might be a bad example of someone who could have done this right because Venezuela's a you know a, rogue a crony state. stupid state yeah. you know, run by an idiot and all that sort of stuff I hope I don't get shot by some Venezuelan CIA guy right. anyway um, look the, the, so the argument gr someone in Greg's camp might make is well look you know we are part of the G20 we'll be able to do this properly not like those idiots who didn't do it properly sure but again you just made the counter argument to that which is we've seen that in the past and absolutely the, you know the main United States of America pulled it off the gold was gold standard one day pulled it off the gold standard the other day and you can't give any justification to that other than they needed more control or more manipulation over the money supply that was it they, now whether that's good or bad in their mind they may have been trying to do something good which was you know there might have been economic you know issues and all that sort of yeah. stuff and in their keynesian from their keynesian standpoint printing some more money to help you know okay. support the so situation you, so, so you're they, trying to take it yeah and say well maybe they did a good thing yeah potentially know. but yeah, okay yeah the the then the counter argument to that is what if that actually just made the problem a hell of a lot bigger and then that ties to where we sort of closed off the conversation with with greg around qe yeah quantitative easing yeah and when you have a central authority that has the ability to let's not even use the word manipulate because that sounds conspiracy theorist sure. but let's say uh you know, to centrally plan. Yeah, to again. centrally plan and manage. evolve or change or manage. Manage <laughs> is the right word, yeah. right? To manage the central currency. That is inevitably going to happen because the presupposition of a centrally managed you know, institute or currency or system or whatever is that you're managing it. And if that central institute is managing it, they're going to change something at some time on the premise that they think what they're doing is better and it will affect everybody, but it may fuck everything up. Sure. And that's where the problem is. And look, you could argue perhaps that uh, quantitative easing, which um, in, in the interview Greg was saying um, basically saved us and, you know, the skies were blue and, and all yeah, of that. Yeah, everything's, everyone's every, happy. Every, I don't everything think everyone's rosy, really that happy. Uh, all roses. Um, you know, they were trying to fix a problem 
that they helped possibly create. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that comes from, you know, a, a lack of sound money. If you allow banks to create credit and, and then on top of that have cross-collateralized... Collateralized it, yeah. I, I don't disagree completely with the ability for banks to create credit. Okay. Okay. But I think what the issue is, is that it gets... Uh, multiplied to the point where it's out of control okay so so in some ways a a an amount of credit creation can help fuel growth okay because some credit is is important and some like milton friedman would would argue that yep i i think the issue is that it's just because it's so centrally um if everybody knew what was going on behind the scenes for example and knew how much just random credit and random money was just being generated out of nowhere, I think there'd be opposition to that. I agree. And if someone came and said, all right, I'm going to take Bitcoin and I'm going to start inflating it or being able to create derivatives and credit and all this sort of stuff and then build credit on the credit and more credit on that credit and, you know, take the co- take the credit, you know, through some sort of quadratic uh, Absolutely. Uh, but you, could, you couldn't do that with Bitcoin because you can audit the underlying interest because it's transparent exactly and now you can do that with a, a with dollars or um if i mean if the government's if say the u.s fed issued a a blockchain based currency uh would it even be a public blockchain i i, I, I don't know i don't know but let's say it be transparent surely well, not well, maybe it would be, but they still would have the... I think they would... It might be transparent, but I think from a governance standpoint... Yeah. See, in Bitcoin... And we keep using Bitcoin. They, they would have the, they would have the commit real... access to make all the changes they want. Without. Correct. But, but not only that, I think it's that the participants in something like Bitcoin or any other real cryptocurrency, their very participation in it uh, gives it validity. Whereas... Um, so, so if someone goes in and changes, so, so it requires a con- consensus of the participants in order to make change. Yeah. Whereas a centrally run uh, fiat digital currency wouldn't require the consensus of all the participants in order to make a change. And I think that's the difference. So it may even sure. be transparent. It may even be uh, on a public exa- ledger. And that's well said. And that's but I could, it's yeah. the management of it totally. is going to be a different, completely different model. Look, and look, I think, I think Greg is right in a way that if governments do issue these digital currencies, uh, people will initially go, oh, well, you know, the, there might be a segment of the population, the knee-jerk reaction goes, oh, well, we don't need those stupid cryptocurrencies anymore. But, I mean, if there is some sort of risk in uh, the financial system that comes along, we might see a flight of, of money um, back into the, into this yep. a decentralized censorship-resistant currency. But I think that'll also always exist because it's a hedge. So whilst right. all the existing fiat currencies that are around now still exist, yeah. gold has always... Exactly. hung around and it's still there That's right. despite all the people saying gold's useless and all that sort of stuff it still yeah. remains a sovereign store of value because it's not technically controlled and the ultimate another. hedge yeah, yeah exactly if, yeah. if all hell broke loose and we went into world, world war three or like greeks talked about a pandemic hit us um, which is, is another story um you know, I, i'm pretty sure assuming the internet is still around you know bitcoin will be 
a store of value or yeah. if the internet blows up and then we have no access to something like bitcoin then gold's gonna end up being yeah that and and, and that's sort of my point that um if people start to recognize it as a hedge then that value of bitcoin will will never go away correct but if people just think oh it's it's sort of worthless because the the only real value and and Greg sort of alluded to that was because you can have instant transactions. Well, n no. It's See, that's the small part, and that actually opens up a whole new argument around you know the utility versus store of value yeah. argument, which is the utility of Bitcoin and what Bitcoin originally sort of looked like from a utility standpoint is easy to replicate. Everyone's replicated that piece of instant transactions and all of that sort of stuff. So sure. if you take that piece of the perhaps utility, not at scale, but yeah, maybe not at scale. Yeah, that's fine. But if I guarantee you a government, if they issue a government-backed yeah. fiat currency, digital currency, they can do it at scale. Because it won't be decentralized. Correct. It won't yeah. be decentralized. They'll be able to do all that sort of stuff. But what they won't be able to do is... See, Bitcoin is not... And, and this is where I sort of almost argue that Bitcoin is not actually a currency at the moment. It's an asset. Mm -hmm. It's more like gold than anything else. Sure. Because it's a sovereign asset. And the reason I hold potentially some funds in Bitcoin is that it's a hedge against either you know the, the manipulation, the management or whatever else you want to say in other sectors of the economy. Yeah. And the fact that this one can't be manipulated, managed, changed, fucked around or any of that sort of stuff gives me some level of certainty. Now, I'm not stupid. I'm not going to put everything I have in it, but... Are you saying I'm stupid? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's 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 an asset so coming back to sorry I'm, I'm going around in circles here but my point around a a a state or a institution or a country issuing their own cryptocurrency it's going to be for the purpose of transactions that's its utility it's yeah, not going to actually be an asset you won't hold you don't hold Australian dollars as an asset exactly and look it might do that job very well exactly yeah, yeah. but it won't do the job of protecting against you know potential uh you know what it may protect against fall but it's not going to have an increase in potential value yeah so if i just so let's take all the other pieces aside and this is not financial advice i put my investor hat on yeah if i just want something to be stable and i on the presupposition that the government's always going to be there then i might hold some of that you know uh yeah look it will have the probably consumer protection it'll aspect to it yeah but it's not an asset that may rise in value. Yeah, even if it's not just spe like a, specula um, a speculation rising in value, it won't have that that store of safe store of value in a time of crisis. Correct. That Correct. is what gold or Bitcoin or some Represent. of these yep. assets. Yep. That's the appeal for them, to me, at least. Oh, do you have any other points that you wanted to run through? <laughs> um, look, I think I think we've just covered about everything. I could go on and on about. I, I might mention a, a couple more things. Yeah, so please. Greg's argument that QE uh, delivered. Um, I'm I'm just going to touch on that. Sorry, Greg, I disagree. I don't think QE delivered anything but kicked the can further down the road. And I think we've just created sure. bigger bubbles in the system than we had before. And again, we just spoke about this misnomer before is managing bubbles that are created through the process of management is like trying to say, I'm going to stop this fire and I'm going to spray the fire with a hose full of gas. It's just going to do, it's just going to inflame the whole thing even further. Now, that might not be the greatest analogy in the world, but, you know, <laughs> I, I don't think the problems have been solved through. Yeah. I'll, I'll quote Einstein here and I'm going to paraphrase Einstein is 
can't believe I'm paraphrasing Einstein <laughs> in a Bitcoin <laughs> podcast, but uh, trying to solve trying to solve uh, new problems with the old method of thinking, it's like the problems that created with the definition of insanity yeah. or some shit like that. So bad paraphrasing, <laughs> but you get what I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the last piece as well is th- this is actually one thing that I agreed with him on is <laughs> okay <laughs> the one thing the, the one maybe a couple of things but this is the main thing that I agreed with him on is that his definition or how he looked at tokens and securities and ICOs yeah and I, some I was, of them are blatant I, securities he's, he's, yeah okay. and that was 100% true because I think a lot of people in the ICO space took the piss <laughs> they literally marketed what were securities on the basis that one day yeah they or even if they weren't securities maybe some of them were just as cash grab scam cash grab fraud bullshit scams and yeah in that sense i think he was right in saying that i think he was right in his definition or classification of the security piece sure um he also i also agree with a lot of what how the finmar framework that they put together so uh-huh. he sort of gave that kudos so i agree with that um but i don't necessarily agree entirely on how maybe his perception on dealing with that is, which is by, you know, change or we'll shut you down sort of mentality, which I just fundamentally don't agree with that, man. Especially if it's something that you haven't built. How, how do you have the right? So it's like, I build my house and then I'm going to come along and bulldoze it. That, that sounds like something out of Afghanistan, for example. It's like I built a house and then the state's going to come and knock down the house. Yeah. Come on. Anyways, no, I mean he did. Um, he did concede that there was some innovation around ICOs and how they raise venture capital, capital yeah, exactly. funding, and that's undeniable, yep, really. Yep, yep, um, yep. But I guess from his point of view, you know, he yeah he wants to. That's where his parameters for this and his experience and his yeah. where he comes from and all that sort of stuff and that also kind of one of the things he said at the outset was the future belongs to permissioned ledgers i totally disagree with that that's sort of like the future belongs to aol uh you know and we all know how aol went i, I don't think i think permissioned or private ledgers are going to have their place in society yeah because oh, they're going to help agree. streamline business operations but from a uh, economic standpoint, that value is not necessarily going to be uh, shared by all the participants, like something like Bitcoin, for example, right? Or, and again, we keep banging on about Bitcoin, probably sound like freaking Bitcoin maximalists, but let me, I'll replace the word Bitcoin with a true sovereign uh, censorship resistant decentralized cryptocurrency uh, yeah okay? sure um, and I, that when we use the word bitcoin yeah, i think that's exactly what that, we mean exactly. yeah so so they're, they're two different schools of thought and yes while permissioned blockchains are going to have you know uh, efficiency increases in private companies and all of that but the private companies are going to get the benefit of that increase in efficiency and that's fine. That's not like it's a bad thing. I'm not sure. against business or anything, and that's fine. They can use that. That's but as a participant in the in the in the new digital economy space, I'm not really too interested in that sort of stuff. No, that's I'm right. I'm interested in where the real mass broad value creation is, or where the value transfer is happening. Yeah, and I think that's what's uh, that's what's important here. So I'm I'm actually going to end this now with Greg's Good comments, idea. where he said, "Let the market prevail." So I hope Greg will. <laughs> Let the market prevail and not try and manage it or control the process too much because I feel like 
systems the, the market is the latest iteration of a decentralized system and i think yeah. bitcoin is the le the the best interpretation of that where people who operate in their own self-interest kind of like darwinian evolutionary theories things end up falling into place the way they should um and yeah no I, I agree. Look, I think um, in terms of regulation from the G20 and the OECD, it's very much a case of watch this space. Yep. They're, they're certainly not ignoring this and they believe they have the means to be able to wipe this out if it is what they consider a systemic threat to global stability, whatever that means, however yep. they choose to define that. Um, so, and, and Greg did say that, you know, governments around the world may um, just try and regulate this to the point where it's of suffocation, exactly, which we've just seen. Exactly. Which, which I think is just kind of, I mean, that's draconian. That's the definition of draconian. Absolutely. And I mean, we could keep going, going on and on this, and on yeah. about I, I this. I hope that that's not the path we take and I hope that this this innovation is not stifled i hope it's allowed to prosper because again i, I think sometimes i'm actually going to give a random analogy here this okay. is completely random i, I did right. stunt driving training and i did a military tactical course course on defensive driving and this I, is, I this swear is, this guy is like a, a, sp a spy or something like that <laughs> the amount of things he's done this is random okay okay but when you're losing control in a car yeah do you know what the best thing to do is no. Let go of the steering wheel. Okay. Hands down. If you start to lose control in a car, you let go of the steering wheel and the car rebalances itself. That is how you gain control of the car. So if you use that analogy back into markets, for example, sometimes when markets go into chaos, let it go. The chaos will come. It will go. The world's not going to end because you know things crashed or things rebalanced and all that sort of stuff. So I, I see a similarity in the analogy there. Wise, <laughs> wise words yeah let's um you may call me sensei <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm kidding next thing you know stunt drivers cut, are cut. taking over the world and going no we know what to do Look. let go of the wheel <laughs> greg let go thanks of the wheel the, thanks for that alex uh <laughs> hopefully our listeners uh, <laughs> let go of the wheel don't let go of the, if you're driving the car now and listening to this do not let go of the wheel disclaimer <laughs> This is not financial advice, nor life advice, nor legal advice. Holy shit. Um, so I'm going to end it with this, guys. If you like this episode, please share it. Yeah. I think beyond everything else, like we, we have our viewpoints. Greg has his viewpoints and everyone else is going to have their viewpoints. We want to hear it in the comments. We want to hear all that stuff. But please share this episode because I think this episode really brings to light the... The clash. The of clash of philosophies um, between regulators and, you know, and sort of the people who have the, the innovators and this, what this whole space sort of represents and how it came about, yeah. at least in my view anyway. Yep. So thanks very much for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed the episode. See you in the next episode.